Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Two sides to every coin. Then there's a conversation you can join. But I'm an old dog and there's new tricks. And some of my opinions you just can't fix. Cause I'm an old man yelling at the sky. I'ma shake my fist at the clouds and Get off my lawn, you snowflake, before I have a meltdown, breakdown, shakedown. Cause this is my hometown, so back down, sports clown. It's all just a game, and it's a last down, let down, cow town. I said it's all just a game, I give the touchdown, the run down, the low down. Cause it's over the game, gonna crack down, shut down, the sun down. I said, uh, I said, uh. Hey, kids. How are you? <laughs> Welcome to Just the Game. That's the crack a new theme song. Get off my lawn, you snowflake. I love that. The gentleman right over here is Peter Marr. Pete, can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear, Rob. Perfect. And, and I can hear you, and I can <laughs> see you, and there's no delay. Right? Perfect. Perfect. It only took We've tried for a while to do this. <laughs> it only took me a month. Here we are. <laughs> oh, cool. You, I'm good, sir. I want to congratulate you, first of all, Rob, on the, on the great work you do with the hockey heroes. And I know last weekend you were in Ottawa with, uh, with all those uh, youngsters and had a great, great time. And uh, congratulations to you and all of the people that are involved with that and, and putting it together. It's just uh, awesome to uh, see the, the great progress that you've made with that group. Well, for, hey, of course, thank you. Uh, Kevin Hodgson deserves a, a huge, you know, pat on the back. And Dario Neal was coaching with us. There's Norm Flynn. There's lots of people who deserve. But you deserve a pat on the back for it, too. And let me explain to you why. Because when I moved here in May of 2003, um, you and I, first time we worked together, we worked at an event out in uh, Springbank in the arena there. 
for oh yeah yeah remember yeah 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 Yeah. and (laughs) and we had a long conversation in the parking lot about you know what it meant what it meant to you what what broadcasting was all about but you also set the tone by you know talking about community and the importance of community and i'll never forget that and i watched you and mike rogers and i learned that they you know it's not enough to work in this city. You have to be part and an active part of it. And you guys, you've been that you were always that Mike was always that you guys mm-hmm. just set the table for me. And, and I'm just carrying on the tradition that you guys started. And, and my assumption is Pete, that your mentors and the people that, that groomed you did that as to, that too. It's just passing the torch, right? Exactly. It goes way back in my end. So uh, exactly. It's giving back is so very, very important uh, for, for community, especially you were in a position like yourself. And I was at, at those days. And uh, uh, you, you can never give enough, I think, to, to community. And you certainly have done all of that. Another thing I want to congratulate you on is the uh, interview you did on Monday with uh, Chris Snow's wife. I mean, that was very, very inspirational. I, I knew Chris since uh, Doug Reisbrow hired him when he was GM in Minnesota to be uh, part of that management team. I think he was one of the first guys to be involved in analytics for the NHL and yeah. done a great job. And it's so sad, the issues that he's having, but the battle that he's putting on is absolutely incredible. And thanks for that insight uh, with her on Monday. Well, you know, and I, I think you'll appreciate this too, because you've been an advocate uh, for for Alzheimer's fundraising. And, and I know that that's one that's very close to you and, um, those personal stories, Pete, uh, they're they're important to tell. And and I've said it before. I mean, getting you and Eric to be part of this show was huge. But the guest that I wanted was Kelsey only because I felt there was a story there and I thought she told it really well. I mean, you know, the, the part that haunts me right now is, you know, the question I asked her about what do you do to escape? And, and her answer was there's no escape for Chris. Like he he just he has to live this all of the time. And. Um, it was just, it was, I appreciate it. I, I, we've got a lot of positive response to it. I I thank Kelsey for her honesty. That's the part that probably blows my mind a little bit. And I'm sure you too, is how open and how much she's prepared to share. There's so much value in that, Peter. Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, incredible. Incredible. And, you know, the fact that Chris is still working as best he can with the Flames in his role as assistant GM is incredible as well, given all the conditions that he's had to go through. Yeah. And he is. He's, you know, Brad Living's talked about it. Craig Connery's talked about it. Brad Pascal's talked about it. You know, regardless of where he is and, and what he's, you know, situation is, he he remains connected and, and guiding and input and, you know, having input and, um, you know, it, it's, we're very fortunate to still have them. Um, but I think, you know, we're also very fortunate that, you know, Kelsey is sharing the information because I think a lot of people need to hear that there's going to be somebody that Pete is going to have to go through that too. And, and you don't want anybody to go through that, but to feel like you're not alone and to understand and, and, you know, just to have somebody who just understands what you're going through or has gone through it before we talk about that in all walks of life, but this is particularly important. Yeah. Absolutely. So, nope. Get, um, you know, I, I, all the best for Chris. And I'm just amazed at how he's able to continue through all of this and be uh, contributing to the Flames on an almost daily basis. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, you started off with congratulations. So, I've got to start off with some congratulations. I was doing the math today. I, 
you and I did a podcast during COVID as part of Sport Calgary and the Six Foot Conversations, but you and I haven't done hockey talk, if you will, <laughs> um, since 2011. Right? Wow, been that long! Wow, it's been that long. You no, no, you were still on. I just went in a different direction for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe we are three Hall of Fames behind now. You are now enshrined in seven Hall of Fames. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that's. I believe that is it. Of the most uh, most recent one was the Maritime Sports Hall of Fame uh, right. just before COVID hit. Actually, so. Okay. Uh, Okay. Yeah, that was the seventh one. Okay. And, so and I don't, I've been very fortunate to be honored in so many of those uh, halls of fame. So. For, for sure. And I don't want anybody to think that this is an ego play or anything like that. It's not. <laughs> it's rather a competition between you and your brother. And, and you, re, you remain ahead of your brother by one. Yes, I passed him with that last one. Yeah, so when we talked about here, he came with me to that as well, actually. And so we, we had a good chocolate and a good toast over that after the uh, after the event in Halifax. So, yeah, he's in he's in six halls of fame, all of them as a part of teams, and I'm in seven, most of them individually, but one or two as part of a team. So, uh, that's uh, I've been pretty fortunate. Pretty fortunate. I love it. I love it. Well. I mean, we've been we've been trying to do this for a while, and, and we're finally back to it. So uh, let's dive in with both feet. Um, current state of the Calgary Flames is it? I, I know every every season is different, and every situation is different. But does does it feel at all the same to you as as some of the ups and downs we saw, you know, two decades ago or a decade ago? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's been really an interesting to follow the flames, you know, everybody uh, down on them and at the fact that they're not in a playoff spot right now and are in a, in tough to make it into a playoff spot. And that, especially after they had such a tremendous year last year, when uh, they were the number one team in the Pacific division and 115 points, I believe it was, they had won a playoff series and, uh, and then, uh, and then lost out in the second round to, uh, to Edmonton. And a lot of people, I think, were expecting as much this year. Uh, when you look back on last year's team, Rob, mm. they had 15 players, 14 players have career years. I don't know if there's ever been a team in the NHL that had 14 players have career years in the same season. Now, unfortunately, they lost two of the best guys from that, uh, from that team last year with Kachuk and, and Goodrow moving on. And, um, you know, the two new players, two of the new players that came on here also had career years last year uh, when they were playing with uh, with Florida Panthers and uh, Uyghur and uh, Huberto. And then they had Kadri come in. He didn't have a career year last year, but he won a Stanley Cup. So you kind of with Colorado. So you kind of figured, well, that would make the team maybe not as good as last year, but not that far behind. But, there, you know, I watched them in that game on Monday against the Kings and um, – they didn't seem to be playing. The Kings were the better team. There's no question about that. Uh, but the Flames, given their circumstances, didn't seem to be playing with any desperation. And the first thing you knew, they were behind 4 nothing, which was um, then they had to try and battle back, which, of course, they couldn't and, and ended up losing a very important game by a high score, 8-2. Now they came back and, and bounced back with a win last night against Anaheim. But, uh, you know, it, it's been an up-and-down year all year for those guys. And it, it, to me... When I watch them, they don't play Daryl Sutter hockey anywhere near as consistent as they need to. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, you're hearing rumbles out there about maybe there's issues and all of that type of thing. I have no idea if there's issues. I'm not close enough to it. 
but I do know one thing. Daryl Sutter is a very good coach. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to Daryl's direction and uh, the tactics that he uses uh, for the team to play with their game plans, if the players follow that game plan, they'll have success. Now, if they don't follow the game plan, then they don't have success. Now, Daryl is, is the type of guy that pushes really hard to get the maximum out of his team and, and his players. And sometimes it turns them off. But you know, these guys are making a lot of money to play hockey and the goal behind playing hockey is to win hockey games get in the playoffs and try to win the stanley cup and so you know you're you're being paid to be there with that kind of coach even if that's his style maybe he turns you off sometimes with his criticism but he he also if you listen to him and play the way he wants you to play you're going to have some uh, success i know daryl's won two stanley cups with teams in los angeles and i'll never forget rob in uh in 2004, when the Flames made that incredible run to the Stanley Cup final, and actually they won the Cup, but they just didn't count the goal. Right. Uh, so, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> but I remember the, the day, the, just before Game 5 in, uh, in uh, Tampa, uh, I was talking with the great Scotty Bowman, the all-time greatest coach in the history of the NHL. He was at that game. He was up in the press box, and I was talking to him. I developed a relationship with him when I was doing television broadcasts uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the 80s when he was out of work there for one season. So he says to me, he said, you know, your coach, Daryl Sutter, he can read a game better than any coach in the NHL today. And he can make the adjustments faster than any coach in the NHL today. So that tells you a lot right there when Scotty Bowman is making that kind of comment about Daryl Sutter. And it's interesting to note people uh, that played for the Montreal Canadiens and the Detroit Red Wings also found uh, Scotty a very hard guy to uh, coach, uh, be, be coached by because he was very tough in his criticism as well. Yeah. Great strategies, but he also could, you know, blast his guys when he had to, just as Daryl does. And it's interesting that, you know, one time, I think it was Steve Shutt, who was a former player with the Canadians, made the comment, he said, we hated Scotty all year, but we really loved him when we got our Stanley Cup rings. So, <laughs> you know, when you look at the Flames, and if, they're ha- if they are having some, you know, questions about Daryl, I would think remember that comment and listen to Daryl with his when he uh, gives out the game plan for the, the games for the team. You know, and it's also interesting. You look at Flames are chasing the Winnipeg Jets for a, for a playoff spot, and Rick Bonus is the coach of that team. Yeah. Rick Bonus is the exact opposite of Daryl Sutter. I mean, he's what you would call a player's coach. He's constantly uh, patting them on the back. Although last week he got a little irritated there and benched a couple of star players for uh, a period and a half or whatever it was. But he's a, he's a guy that uh, doesn't get on his players as hard like Daryl does. Yet they they had some good success early in the year, and lately they've been stumbling and fumbling around. Although they won last night, so it's uh, you know it's all interesting. But uh, you know the way I look at it with the Flames is that ownership of that team has always spent to the salary cap since mm-hmm. the NHL had a salary cap except for one year. It was the year that uh, Jerome McGinley, the year after Jerome McGinley was traded. Yeah. Uh, the Flames then committed to a rebuild. And for that one year after, they were well below the salary cap maximum. But every other year after that and the years before that, they were always at the maximum. So you have to credit management. Management is paying that money to these players to perform. And the players, the fans are spending the money so they can give the money to the players. So the players should be performing to top level every single game. And hopefully they have that tomorrow night when they host uh, – uh, the uh, Vegas team here. Peter, and, and again, just tapping into your experience, have you ever quite seen anything like this team 
and one goal games. I mean, you, you know, the last two have not been one goal games, but <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but 26 one goal games this year, which is a, a club record um, and, and just no success in overtime, which if you remember correctly, Daryl, when Daryl coached that first year with the shootout after the lockout, he, he didn't have a lot of success in the regular season in overtime either, did he? That's right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, they did not. And uh, yeah, it's puzzling why that would be, how this team can have so many one-goal games. Now, having said that, when you go back to the 03-04 run, which was before they had shootouts and that sort of thing, I mean, the Flames had an awful lot of one-goal games there, not as many as they have this year, but they were on the winning side of more of them than the losing side uh, yeah. by a pretty significant number uh, going back to that season. I mean, they won an awful lot of games that year, 2-1 and 3-2 mm-hmm. and 4-3 the odd time. And uh, that, you know, that was the type of team that played Daryl's style. They're a very solid uh, defense. They played as five-man units. And, you know, they had a, a ton of success going to the Stanley Cup final that year when, when nobody really expected them that year. They'd gone into the season uh, having not made the playoffs in seven straight years. And I firmly believe if they hadn't had that run on 0304, the team might not be here today. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah. so you go back to, to look at it that way. Uh, that team, they overperformed. This year's team is underperforming. I guess is the best way to, to sum it up. And But it's still not too late. I still think they can get themselves into the playoffs. And then when they get there, who knows? Well, that well, that's what you want to do, right? You just get to the dance. Just get me to the yep. dance, and we'll go yep. from there. Two more on on the Flames, and then I want to ask you about some other things. Um, the goaltending this year, you've seen, and we've talked about oddities before. I mean, uh, you've seen years in which eight goalies were used, but did you ever quite see such a dramatic, you know, best in the league last year, almost worst in the league this year, both really? Now, remember, we got spoiled when Kiprasov was here because oh boy, he was good seven or eight straight years in a row. Uh, always either if he didn't win the Vesna, he was right up near the top. So, yeah, it is it is a dramatic drop when you consider that, you know, last year's team had the great performances by Markstrom. Uh, I think he was second in voting for the for the Vesna trophy. And yeah. this year he's not even in consideration for, for, uh, for it at all. And, his, you know, his play certainly dropped off. You could see it. he's lacking in confidence, where last year you could see that he had the confidence. And I still wonder if maybe that series he had against Edmonton last year may have been is still playing on the mind of Mark Truman, was playing on his mind when the season got started. Because after having such a great year last year in the regular season, he had a great uh, series against Dallas in that opening round of the playoffs. And then the owner just picked him apart. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's ever recovered from that. Now, I didn't, you wouldn't have thought he'd fallen off as badly as he has this year. He's recently, other than the game on Monday, had some pretty good games, but certainly nowhere near that number. And, um, yeah, then you need the goaltending. There's no mm-hmm. question, especially in Daryl Sutter talking. If you don't have superb goaltending, you're going to have some issues because uh, there's going to be some good scoring chances developed. But it seems on some nights, uh, when they do get good goaltending, they're not getting any goals. So they're, they just uh, it just seems to be one terrible street uh, for this team, the way it has gone so far. They take a stutter step forward and then 10 steps back, it seems, uh, with the team. But as I say, I still haven't given up on their, their chances, but they're going to need great goaltending in these final uh, 11 games if they're going to survive. What about no captain, Peter? Um, you know, you, you saw, geez, you, there were some years there you had a couple of captains or, you know, not captains for one season or whatever. No, choosing not to go with a captain this year. Is that a, you know, is that a big deal? Is that not a big deal? 
it's not a big deal with me, but I do talk to fans and, and they, uh, and mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard it as well, yep. that they feel not having a captain is a, is a bit of a factor with the team. Uh, but I do remember in, in uh, 89 when the Flames won the cup, they didn't have a captain that year either. Right. I mean, there were three guys that were, uh, you know, sharing the captaincy's role, alternates, if you will, or, or whatever in, in Lanny McDonald, Jim Hunter and, and Jim Poplinski. So, you know, there's a, there's a standard right there that uh, yeah. tells you you can have success even if you don't have a captain. And there've been some other teams that have had some success without a captain as, as well. So that's, you know, that was Daryl's decision not to name a captain last year and not naming a captain again this year. So he has a handle on his players, that's for sure. He's been around them, you know, for two, two and a half seasons now. So he was, you know, if he thought there was somebody there that he wanted to put forward, uh, he would have done that, uh, you know, prior to the start of the season at the very least. But he obviously felt he had enough leaders among, uh, you know, the group with Backland and uh, and uh, Toffoli and, and those type of guys, Kadri. Uh, and, but to go back into that point, when you look at it, there's I talked about, players having career years last year with the 14 of them this year the only guys that are really having career years are, are Backlund and Toffoli and uh Tanev again is having another strong yeah. season on defense and so is Rasmus Anderson other than that there's nobody having any here close to a to a career year on on this team so they need to have and they do have potential there and uh, they need to start showing it on a on a consistent basis well it didn't take long for us to kind of get back into our old routine because I lied to you I got one more because you brought up his name, <laughs> Rasmus Anderson. Pete, <laughs> I, I just watched this kid the last couple of years, and I, I just think he's an un, you know, he's a, a really good secret, if you will. Is he a is he an all-star some point down the Lord? Could he be an not necessarily win the the Norris, but could he be a nominee? He just he strikes me as is a lot better than than I thought he was going to be. He's a really solid defenseman. Well, if he keeps improving as he has over the last two years, especially or last two or three years, especially, he should he could very well put himself into that uh, position as being a, a a player in the uh, in the running for the for the Norris Trophy. I mean, this year with uh, Carlson having the year he's having mm-hmm. and Mel yeah. McCarr and none of those guys, he's certainly nowhere near that this year. Although yeah. he is having a very good season, but uh, I, whether he can get to that point or not, I don't know. But he certainly has made great advances in the last couple of seasons. And if he can continue in that way, definitely going to put him in, in that uh, that position to, to be rated one of the top defensemen in the NHL. And so, uh, yeah, he, he certainly gives you an awful lot out there. And, uh, you know, he, he, he had a little downtime there after he had that, that accident there when he was um, hit by a car in, in Detroit and had to go yeah. to a hospital. And But I was surprised how quickly he came back and played after that. Uh, he didn't sit out very long. I don't know. I think maybe a couple of games, maybe three. And then he was back playing. Maybe not up to the same way he was playing earlier, but after getting his back at it again, playing, you know, four or five games since then, uh, he's come on real strong and uh, has looked, you know, really, really sharp at a time when uh, the team needs him the most. And uh, they're definitely getting it from him, if not from other guys out there. 48 points on the season and on this team to be a plus player. And I, I know that, you know, plus minus is one of those stats that you can take or leave. But me, I, for a defenseman, I look at it, especially on a team that, that gives up more than it scores. Uh, it, it bodes really well. All right. So I, I did say we'd move on. You mentioned 89. I believe yesterday was a rather significant anniversary of a milestone for a legend. Yeah, Lanny McDonald last night uh, in 1989, March the 21st, notched the, the 500th goal of his incredible NHL career. 
And uh, he did it. it. You know, they talk, people ask me, well, how did Lanny score his goals and all that sort of thing? I said, well, he scored them all different ways. Because he had a great chop. He had a great uh, release. Uh, he was not afraid to stand in front of the net and, uh, and have pucks go off his leg or off his rear end and end up in the goal. Yep. But another thing, and I think people kind of forget about it, Lanny had this move where he'd kind of go in behind the net and then come out front and try to jam the puck in the side of the goal. And a lot of times he'd have success with that. And that's what he did when he scored his uh, 500th goal uh, in that game back in 1989 uh, of yesterday. And, uh, you know, he got a lot of goals like that in his in his NHL career because he battled his way out from behind the net and then jammed the puck into the goal. If it didn't go in, then it would come out. There'd be a rebound there for somebody. So, uh, <laughs> But the other interesting point about Lanny getting that uh, the 500th goal is that it's, we started to worry as that 1988-89 season was wearing on. The team was doing well. Lanny wasn't scoring very much, and it didn't look like he was going to get to the 500-goal mark. I think he went he went 12 games without scoring a goal. Then he scored six goals in seven games to get him to the 500 mark. And it was just absolutely incredible how he, uh, you know, he was struggling to score, and then all of a sudden he got really hot and started scoring and got himself to the 500-goal mark. And then, of course, in the playoffs, he scored a very important goal uh, the night the Flames won the uh, Stanley Cup. He, uh, he scored the goal that gave the team a uh, two-to-one lead after they were tied 1-1 in, in Montreal. And the Flames didn't, uh, didn't uh, trail in the game at any time after that. Now, also significant with regard to Lanny McDonald is next Wednesday, a week from today, will be the uh, 40th anniversary of the night Lanny scored his 66th goal which is the most goals a Flame player has ever scored uh, in the history of the team, be it in Atlanta or here in Calgary. Yeah. And uh, he, he scored that goal. He had a two-goal uh, game that night on uh, April the uh, 29th, uh, again, a, in a game that was played at the Old Corral. That's <laughs> the other thing about Lanny's big year that he had 66 goals. I think he got 42 of those goals in the Corral because that wow. was the last year that the Flames played in that, uh, in that building. Yeah. And so uh, he was, it was just phenomenal that uh, that was Lanny's first full season here. It was the year before that he got traded here in uh, late November from uh, Colorado. And then in his first full season, the 82, 83 season, uh, he, he went on to have a 66 goal a campaign. And, um, and uh, as I say, I think it was 42 of them that were scored in the, uh, in the corral. And another interesting little side note of the, that year, his 50th goal and his 60th goal, both of them were scored on Friday night. Both of them were scored in Buffalo. And both of them were scored against Bob Sauvey. And both of them didn't produce a win. As the Flames lost both of those games. That he had those uh, milestone uh, goals. And so, and as a radio broadcast, just a little side story is that the night that he got his 50th goal, it was in, in Buffalo on a Friday night. The game was starting 5 o'clock Calgary time. Mm-hmm. There was absolutely no television of that game. Because back in the 80s and 90s, not all the games were on television. So this game was on radio. So the people in Calgary were all excited. Lanny's going for his uh, 50th goal of the of the season. And, uh, you know, no, no Calgary Flame had done that before. It was done once in Atlanta. And so we're like, Doug Barkley, my color commentator, we get up into the broadcast booth in the old auditorium there in, uh, in uh, Buffalo. And in those days, our pregame show lasted only five minutes or 10 minutes at max. And so we were having trouble technically getting on the air. I don't and know so what you're talking about. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, they, we don't know anything about technical. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so anyway, we're trying the the producer who was from Buffalo and had the equipment there. He just couldn't having problems, couldn't get it on the air. So the game's getting ready to start. So I grab the telephone. There were no cell phones, obviously, back in 1983. And so um, we start doing the play by play on the phone this way, and then all of a sudden that. Nothing gets knocked off the air. So now I'm sitting there. Lanny, you know, is going to score his 50th goal in a minute, you think. And we may not even have it on the air. So, But I want to thank Lanny. He waited until the second period to score that goal. And we were on the air by then. So it was uh, that was a real interesting little sidelight of that, at least from a broadcast standpoint. So this this was March of two – or when was this? This was 1984, right, Pete? This was no. This was in uh, this was 1983. 1983. Forty years ago. Forty years ago. Forty. And, yeah. And and you had to use a phone to get on the air. And here we are, yeah. forty years later, and you have to use a phone <laughs> to get on the air. <laughs> the more they change, Pete, the more changes. they stay the same. <laughs> we just have less hair, but nothing else changes. <laughs> nothing else, right? <laughs> um, let's let's leave the locals for a bit. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about Connor McDavid. How much does this remind you of the '80s and Wayne Gretzky? Because you know he's the he's the enemy, right? He's he's on the yep. you know the most hated team for your team. You know, you and I both know that you have to kind of watch your praise because what you don't you're not praising somebody from Edmonton, are you? But you you went through the whole Wayne Gretzky dynasty and and his. Do you see any of Connor McDavid? Is he? I'm not asking to compare them, but I just never thought we would see he's so far ahead of everybody. Like he's lapping the field. Somebody used that term. He's lapping the field. That's the best way to describe it. Right. And Gretzky did that too. Yeah. And that, and that's what Gretzky did. I mean, he he was lapping the field as well. And of course he, he'd have nights against the flames when he just totally demoralized the fans of the the flames and the players on the flames. And and you're broadcasting these and it just, Absolutely. And now you watch McDavid, he's doing the same thing. And, uh, and it, it, you know, it, it's, it, now their styles are much different. I mean, it, uh, as dominant as they are, they're doing it in a different ways in many, in many instances. When you look at Gretzky, to me, he, he had the greatest hockey mind of anybody that's ever played the game. Yeah. And he also had the greatest hands of anybody that ever played mm-hmm. the game. He didn't have a particularly great shot. He didn't have a, you know, a great amount of speed. But he got the job done because he was so smart. He always knew where his teammates were on the ice and could make very efficient passes to them. And, um, you know, he just, you know, he'd be behind the net. First thing you know, the puck's in the net. And uh, he, he was just absolutely so incredible. And, you know, there were so many times you'd leave the uh, Northlands Coliseum there in Edmonton, you'd be shaking your head because Gretzky got about six points and Flames got beat 10-2 or something to that uh, name. Uh, and, you know, you watch McDavid now. I mean, he's, he's got a great mind for hockey. He mm-hmm. reads the game really well. He's got outstanding mm-hmm. speed. I mean, just outstanding speed, a great creativity. And, you know, and he sees the ice really well, great hands. He has a great shot. And, uh, you know, when, when you look back at all the greats, you know, I mentioned Gretzky. You had the Mario Lemieux, who was another player that dominated the game. He had a different style as well. Like he was a, he was a guy that was really smart, had really good hands. He was a big guy, though, and could get himself around and could, could read the game really well. You got Sidney Crosby, who's been outstanding. He's a solid two-way player. There's no real flaws in his game. No. But when you look at McDavid, the guy that he reminds me the most 
is Bobby Orr. And Bobby Orr celebrated his 75th birthday earlier mm-hmm. this week, Monday, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I saw Bobby Orr play, I mean, it was absolutely incredible. The things that he could do at high speeds. Yeah. Now, he was a defenseman. McDavid's yeah. a forward. But the things that you see McDavid do at high speeds, Gretzky used to do that, if not similarly, better than that, believe it or not. And I always feel we got cheated. Uh, with regard to Bobby Orr, because he had all those knee problems. If they had the modern uh, technology they have today, he probably would have played until he was 40 years old instead of having to retire at 31 or whenever it was. And the fans really got cheated uh, because he couldn't play anymore, and he was such a great uh, player to watch playing the game. Uh, The only thing I find wrong with uh, McDavid is the fact that he plays with the wrong Alberta team. I, I uh, he was playing here. Well, he was playing <laughs> here. This this show would be called McDavid Today with Pete and Rob. That's what it would be, right? <laughs> <There you> go, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what it would yep. be. Um, I, I do I do want to ask you about um, records, individual kind of season records, Pete. Um, and I'll get to Ovechkin in a second because he did something that I never thought anybody would do, but. When you take into consideration everything, the goaltending, the strategy, the assistant coaching, the, 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 the offseason training, all of those sort of things, can we equate this season for Connor McDavid to Gretzky's best season? You saw it. It was 216 points, 214 points. I'm somewhere in there. I should know this yeah, off the top yeah, of my head. Yeah, 216, I think it was, yeah. Right, yeah. and like it was incredible. Is this the, the same in this era? Is that – should we look at it the same? In my view, it is. He's not going to get that many points, obviously, but uh, it, it, that kind of domination has never been seen before uh, since Gretzky did it. And now we're seeing it from, from McDavid in a different kind of way, a different kind of era. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the goaltenders today have much bigger equipment on than uh, Gretzky had when he had those uh, great, great seasons. Uh, when they had the, you know, the, they had basically goal pads that just covered the legs. Now they cover, you know, everything. And, you know, the body, the you know, the upper body protection and all the gloves and all that type of thing. So, uh, you know, if McDavid was playing in that era, he might have as many as more points than Gretzky had uh, in that big season that that he had with the, the 216 points. So, uh, but uh, to me, they're similar. The type of years that they're having, how dominant yeah. they are, and how many points that they're piling up. To me, it's, it's, it's very, very similar. Uh, although the numbers are a little different, uh, it's just because it's a different era. Our outstanding, producer, our outstanding producer, Gavin, tells me it's 215 points, right? So I said 214 or 216, so I was on either side. <laughs> All I remember, Pete, was that I want to say Mr. Big, the chocolate bar, ran a contest, and every rapper had a point total, and if Gretzky got that point total, you won a chocolate bar. And it was like at the beginning of the year, I'm buying these chocolate bars and they're like 190 points. I'm like, this is stupid. Nobody's going to get that. And then you see one with 200 points and I'm like, this is stupid. And then he gets that number, which was, you know, just mind blowing. I wasn't aware of the chocolate bar thing that was going on. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Probably because I was looking after my conditioning. I was Pete. You're a you were a fine tuned athlete. You were not eating Mr. Big Bars. You don't get a body like this without a healthy diet of Mr. Big Bars. <laughs> Another Canadian staple. Um, Ovechkin last night hits the forty goal plateau, and this is another Gretzky 
record that I never thought would fall. 13th season, he passes Gretzky. I was more focused on the total, the goal total. Um, I didn't realize that that, you know, and I have to tip my hat to Ovechkin. I mean, he was always a good player. It's funny, you know, here where you talked about Orr, Lemieux, Crosby. Ovechkin's not in that conversation, is he? He's not kind that kind of player, but he's a really good goal scorer. He can put the puck in the net. And quite frankly, I, I thought his numbers would start going down. Like yes. last year and this year, I'm just you know, thinking he's getting older and, uh, you know, he, he's not as quick as he was. Or just, <laughs> You would think he wouldn't be as quick as he always has been. But And this year especially, too, when you look at it, uh, he missed some games with injuries. Uh, he, his father passed away, so he uh, had to go through that uh, that hardship. But nonetheless, here he is having scored 40 goals and, and the season isn't over. And, uh, you know, the 14th time to have done that, that's, you know, it's absolutely in- incredible. And I, like you, was, you know, watching to see if he was going to break Gretzky's overall goal uh, total uh, record of uh, 894. And now he's, uh, he's 74 goals behind that. Uh, I-, I thought for, you know, I thought last year that he would never get to Gretzky's uh, 974 goals. I just thought he'd just slow right down and, you know, he might have some, you know, he had seasons where he'd get 20, 25 goals given his age and that sort of thing. But he just keeps rolling along. And, and now I'm thinking he's going to break it. And uh, that'll be kind of monumental uh, time if he indeed does do that. But then last night he broke one of them with uh, having his 14th 40-goal uh, season. And, you know, he just continues to roll right along. He he has a real knack for the net. He's got a great shot, great release, and great teammates. You know, he's uh, now the team itself, they seem to be focusing more on getting him goals in the air-winning games and, as a result, might not even make the playoffs this year, which would be a disappointment for Washington. But they seem to be really focused on Ovechkin getting, you know, 975 goals or more and be the all-time leading goal getter in the history of the game. And then it goes back to the equipment. You know, he's shooting at goaltenders with much more equipment on than the goaltenders had when Gretzky uh, was putting his record uh, together. So it's a phenomenal thing. But I would argue that the stick technology is they, on well, par. That's a good point too. Yes, yeah, is yeah. on par with the goaltending equipment, right? Yes, good point. Yeah, yeah. Except yeah. that sticks don't have a piece of it called the cheater, which still drives me nuts. Yeah, you can't yeah. Have good point. Equipment yeah. have a yeah. piece called the cheater and go. That's legit. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And to go back on that, I think Gretzky could have scored goals with any kind of stick. It wouldn't have mattered. Like, I don't no. know that he was yeah. finicky as, as sticks as some of these guys are today. And certainly the technology of the hockey sticks they put out is much, much more, uh, much more better, I should say, than, than they had back in those days with uh, uh, Gretzky and those, that era. But I think Gretzky was going to score goals regardless of what kind of hockey stick he had in his hand. And, and it's such a nuanced conversation because when you say one player was better at this, it, it almost sounds like, well, you're dismissing. You said it before. Gretzky thought the game, I and mean, I think that's the only way you can describe it. He thought the game at such a different level. He was two or three moves ahead all the time. And yeah. I, you know who reminds me of that part of it is, is Calgary and Kale McCarr. McCarr anticipate it's a different position, like you said before, but he's he's seeing the game ahead of what it's being played at, if that makes any sense. Yep, you're absolutely right. Yep. Yep. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at some point that McCarr is going to be setting all kinds of records for points and goals by, by a defenseman. Cause he's yeah. just, he has that great, and he has a great speed to go with his, with his uh, mind for the game. So, it's, uh, well, my hope is we learned that 
if we start these records start falling that we don't put rules in place to slow that down it, it it's it it happens just let it happen one last one on this one pete and it, it almost feels like because we haven't done this in 12 years we still have a few things to catch up on but the one we never got a chance to talk about and i always was wondering about your feelings patrick marlowe set the nhl games played record and pass gordy howe but gordy howe had this in you know, this incredible other career, right? And <laughs> yep. it's not even close, right? Like it's, it's, it's not, it's not close. When we talk about Ovechkin Gretzky, should we be including the WHA goals? Now I know there's not a bunch of them, but there's enough. Um, should we include those? Am I talking to Rob Kerr or Mike Rogers? <laughs> I won't. Uh, I often you know, have this conversation with with Mike Rogers, who played in the WHA, absolutely. and Rich Preston, our good friend Rich Preston, has often said that if they counted uh, Mike Rogers' uh, scoring in the World Hockey Association combined with the NHL, he'd be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yes. Yeah. And so, yep. yeah. So I'm I'm in agreement that the uh, the WHA records should count. I mean, Gordie Howe was 50 years old when he putting, well, 40s and 50s when he was putting up those numbers in, in the World Hockey Association. So, you know, even though it might not have been as superior a league, it was still difficult getting points, uh, especially when you're a guy at that particular age. Now, to go back and, and discuss Gordie Howe, I think Gordie Howe is the best all-around player I ever saw. There's no okay. he could play the game any way that you want it, and uh, the, you know the, when you know when you talk about Gretzky, you talk about McDavid. Uh, he, Gordy could do things they couldn't do, but uh, you know from a standpoint of defensively and hitting and aggressiveness and fighting and all that type of thing, he was good at the ball. He was good well, at every aspect of it. But was, yes, they should count those points. And Mike should be in the Hall of Fame. He congratulated. Should be in the Hall of Fame. He should Again. be there anyway. That's right. Right. Yeah. To, to your <laughs> point about Gordy Howe. He, it's not that he could do things that they couldn't do. He would do things that they wouldn't do. (laughs) You know, I've all, you know, you know, the fortunate thing that I had is I, I was able to broadcast some games that Gordy played and I'll never forget the first game that I saw him play. I was broadcasting Maple Leaf, Toronto Maple Leaf games on radio and the Maple Leafs were playing at home against, uh, against the Hartford who Gordy was playing with with his sons on the team. And the puck goes into the right corner in the, uh, in the uh, Toronto zone and Gordy's going up the right wing and there's a linesman in his way. He just shoves the linesman away, rushes in, grabs the puck, brings it up front and scores a goal. Like, I mean, was, and he's he was 40. anybody was in his way. Didn't matter what you were an official, a player. He was going to, he was going to put you out of his way because his goal is to get a goal for his team. So, and he was late. And also I had then, the right? pleasure with, no, and also with I also had the pleasure with uh, Doug Barkley as a color commentator. He yeah. was his, Gordy's roommate early yeah. in uh, in Doug's career, and he also coached him. And Mike, of course, played with him as well with uh, with with in the WHA. So anytime we'd go to Detroit, we'd always run into Gordy and have a nice little chat or go for a beer after the game. And one thing that I'll never forget about Gordy, and this just shows the type of person he is, is the year that the first year that Jerome McGinley had. Uh, uh, 500 or 50 goals for the Flames. Uh, they were playing at the Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit. And after the game, I'm going down to the, the Flame dressing room to do my post-game interview and that type of thing. And standing out in the hallway is Gordy Howe. And Gordy's there, so I chat with him for a, for a couple of minutes. And I said, um, 
And then I said, look, I got to go into the room here. Um, anything you're anything you want or looking for or whatever. He said, well, I'm just waiting out here because I want to shake the hand of Mr. Aginla. And I said, well, Gordon, you can come into the dressing room. I don't think they'll throw you out. <laughs> so I said, no, no, I don't want to interfere in the dressing room. I'll meet him out here in the hall. And sure enough, he waited until uh, Jerome completed his interviews and got changed and showered and all that type of thing and came out. And so he stayed and waited there for him for over half an hour just so he could uh, congratulate him and, and meet him. But that, that was Gordy, tremendous, tremendous player and a tremendous person. I, and I, I think I shared this story with you when I was in Esteban in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. Gordy was our speaker at our our, uh, our fundraising dinner, and he had a little agent with him. And he'd just written the book and how, so they had copies of those. And the agent was all over me like, Gordy won't sign. You know, the only thing he'll sign is the books and the prints. And, you know, Gordy only will sign for 10 minutes. And, yep, no problem, no problem. Gordy Howe was the last person to leave that building at 1.30 in the morning. He shook everybody's hand. He signed everything. He talked to everybody. He was all class, all class, right? Yeah. And when he signed his name, you could read it. You knew it was Gordy Howe. <laughs> like some of these guys signed the autograph today, and you can't determine who the player is. So now another guy that stuck in signing autographs, we talked to him a while ago with his hockey ability, is Lanny McDonald. I mean, Lenny would, I remember in Toronto and in Calgary, how many times we'd hold up the bus because uh, Lenny would be outside signing autographs for the fans that are around the hotel or around the arena after games and and that sort of thing. And he just never, ever uh, walked away from people that wanted his his autograph. And he, too, also signed it like you could read who it was. And even today, if he's at a hockey game at the Saddle Dome, there's always a lineup wanting to have Lenny's autograph and he'd stand there and sign or sit or whatever as long as he has to until everybody is satisfied and has his autograph. So great, great uh, players and great characters for the game. Sunday, and I probably shouldn't say this, Sunday, Lanny is going to be playing against a couple of local teams that just came back from Ottawa as they wrap up their season. So the alumni and the superheroes are meeting for the first time. And, uh, yeah, he's been out to practice before. So he he knows what he's signing up for. So okay, he's gonna have a he's gonna have a battle. He's gonna have his hands full, Pete. He's gonna have his yeah. hands full. Uh, before oh, I let be you neat. go, be great. before I let you go, uh, I'm gonna switch gears and switch sports on you. Sport? Oh. Did you did you watch? Did you see the finale of the World Baseball Classic last night? Uh, I must say, Rob, I didn't. Well, I was going back and forth. And okay. I didn't see the finale of it. Uh, I was watching hockey and uh, then I go back and forth. But then I didn't go back. I kind of get wrapped up in the hockey for a bit there and then forgot about the baseball game. By the time I went back, the game was over. So I missed the dramatic finish of that game. So, and, and I'm thinking of you because either future Yankee Shohei Otani or future Yankee Mike Trout, one of the two, was involved yeah. in, in this finale. Um, you're a sportsman. Um, actually, you know what, Era, uh, let's just show the video. This is, um, this is the final out. Japan wins. This is the Japanese broadcast. <laughs> As Shoyatani strikes out his teammate in Anaheim, Mike Trout, right? Pete, you've been around sports a long time. You, you've covered other sports than hockey. We just talked about some of the greats in hockey. Where does Shohei Otani fit? You know, he 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 hits. He's he's the modern day Babe Ruth, right? And yes, he is. You're you right. Him, yeah. 
You didn't cover Babe Ruth. I know that. But is, nope. is, he, is he maybe the greatest modern professional team athlete we've seen? I would say so, Rob. I mean, uh, you know, I don't follow baseball. I follow baseball fairly close. In fact, at one time when I was younger, when I was a kid, baseball was more important to me than hockey. But right. uh, from what I have seen, there's nobody compares to him. I mean, he can, like you say, he can do it all. And like Babe Ruth back in the, the 1920s and 30s could do it all. And I think this guy is the same way. You look at, I don't think there's any comparison in the modern day uh, era or more, even the more recent years uh, around it since, uh, you know, since the 60s and 70s, nothing like that I've seen uh, can be as phenomenal as this guy is. So absolutely tremendous and you know what a way to finish that game last night so oh, i'm sorry i missed of, it live i was working i was going to do the after show on the game so i'm watching the game and, and twitter's just going nuts about this you know this showdown between mike trout yeah. the two teammates and yeah. you know otani it, it's incredible i love the fact that they didn't take it away from him right they didn't force him you know you got to be a right. pitcher you got to be a hitter they just, yes, he's yes. so good, they let him do it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, because in a lot of instances, when you get a player like that, they'll say, no, you got to stick with pitching or you got to stick with playing uh, just in the, in the field. But in his case, you know, they just let him do both, and he does both phenomenally. So, And it's incredible when you really think about it. And and the last one, and, and we've had such a positive and, and fun conversation, and I don't mean to end on a downer, but I do look to you as a mentor, and I do look at you as, you know, kind of a leader in this space. Pete, we're, we're seeing in baseball that the Jays aren't traveling, the radio crew. Uh, radio broadcasts of sports hold a real dear spot in my heart. I know, obviously, they do for you, too. It, it, it has to be somewhat disappointing that, that we're not having that tradition continue on all fronts, that teams are beginning to look at it as more of a cost than an actual advantage to having a radio crew. Yeah, I just think it's so sad that uh, the broadcasters in, in many instances, including the two here in Calgary that uh, yep. broadcast on radio, Derek Wills and Peter Labardius, are not traveling to road games. They have to sit in a studio and, and call a game off, off a television set. I remember when, you know, when COVID hit, and that's when this kind of all began. Uh, Derek, you know, gave me a call and he said, can you give me any hints of uh, calling a game off a TV screen? And I said, well, of all the games that I ever broadcast, I was always in the arena calling the game. And so I just really felt for him. And some nights I'm watching the game on television and I see the uniforms they have on. And I'm thinking to myself, how can they pick out the numbers of these guys? Because that's how you identify as a play-by-play guy. The way you identify the players for the most part is by the numbers. I mean, sometimes you're following the flames, you know their skating styles and that type of thing. But for the opposing team, the only way you can get to, uh, you know, describe them is know them is through their numbers. And on television, sometimes you can, a lot of times you can't see those numbers in order to pick out who they are. So, and also it's, it's a disservice to the fans. Because mm-hmm. the, when you're around the team all the time, you get information about the team, not necessarily uh, you know, information that's going to start a, a scandal or a controversy or anything like that, but you get inside information that you can pass along to the audience about some little things that they do with their equipment or uh, preparation for the game or that sort of thing. And when you're sitting in, uh, in a uh, studio calling the game, you're not around the team at all. So you don't have any of those little interesting little tidbits that I think are very important. And I think, you know, calling the game on radio also helps sell tickets. And 
if you're calling it the way these guys are having to call it now, it takes some of that away from it as well because you can't give the insights on, on the players that you would if you were with them on a, on a daily basis and in the arena on a daily basis. So I think it's really, really sad how uh, this has changed that uh, no, not only here in Calgary, but elsewhere uh, in the National Hockey League here in Canada and in some in the United States uh, are keeping the radio crews at home and watching off uh, TV screens. And as you mentioned, for the Blue Jays in baseball as well. I think that's really, really, really sad how that has uh, all changed. And hopefully it's somewhere along the way, uh, you know, somebody in the boardroom can say, yeah, we may be making more money by doing it this way, but we're depriving the fans of a lot of important things that they should be seeing and hearing from the, these broadcasters. So um, I don't know if anybody listening to me that has any position that way to change it, but that's my view on it. Get those guys back on the road. Agreed, Pete. Um, thank you. Thanks for your patience. Um, it, my bumbling Pleasure, giant sausage fingers have been our worst enemy, <laughs> but we finally got on. We were finally able to do this. Uh, it's so good to talk again, my friend. It's so good to do this again. Thanks for everything. You know, it comes right from the heart. Uh, you mean the mo- you mean so much to me, Pete, and to have you as part of this journey. It's it's great. Um, we will talk to you in a couple weeks, and who knows. Yeah, we keep fingers crossed that Tech Next really we will go fine. Rob, it's been my pleasure to be on. Look forward to the next one. All right, buddy. Keep up the Thanks, good. Pete. Uh, and now we are. Okay. Yes, that's me. <laughs> you want me to you want me to okay. I'll get rid of this. I'm going to leave this studio and I'm going to enter the Oodle Noodle studio, which is where I am now. Thanks to uh, uh, to uh, to Princey here. He's just been working his tail off here in the last hour. Um, we got it. It sounded okay, right? Yeah, it sounded good. Um, and this time, it just feels like, for whatever reason, poor Pete. We got him. We got him. And it was great. It was everything I wanted it to be. And he'll join us in a couple weeks again. So thanks to the guys here for just working their tails off. Um, welcome again to Just a Game. We just launched in with Pete. We're broadcasting live from Treaty 7 Territory. And, of course, this is an inclusive show, and all are welcome. As a matter of fact, that's going to have a, a big part of a, a conversation when uh, Bain Pettinger uh, joins us in a little while. He's a hockey agent for CAA. Uh, I knew him when he was with Hockey Canada here in Calgary. And uh, he's also one of the board members for the Alphabet Sports Collective. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. I should let you know, because we are in the Oodle Noodle studio, and they are such great sponsors for us. We bring the heat. Try their butter chicken mac and cheese, Kung Pao noodles, Bangkok Pad Thai classic, vegetarian and gluten-friendly options. Pick up or delivery two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street North in Airdrie. Um, I have no doubt that most people are saying to yourself, but Rob, you've almost been on the air for one hour, yet you have not dealt with the biggest story in all of sports. And and for that, I apologize. And I, I want everybody to know that I am very excited, personally, very excited about uh, the biggest story in sports, so much so that I have been working out and I want to share a little of that video. Did you hear this yesterday? Slam ball is coming back. That's right. Two decades we have been without Slam Ball, and it's coming back. You know Slam Ball. It's a, a, a hybrid of football, uh, basketball, and trampoline work. Can uh, Gav, can you throw the, the little private video we got of me working out? Hear me. See, I'm working out already for Slam Ball. 
I'm far. I, you guys didn't know I could bounce on a trampoline like that, did you? I am so ready for the return of Slam Ball. So there you go. I have dealt with the biggest story in sport. Uh, today's reading assignment, I'll post it up on Twitter. Uh, first stage of 655000 upgrade to Fairbanks Drive Reserve, uh, complete with colorful new addition from Lisa Keller, Glam Adelaide. Glam Adelaide. Uh, it is a story, actually, from Australia, um, but it's pretty cool. So if you get a chance, check it out on Twitter. It's the next generation of public park space for kids and for people who want to be active. Um, I don't know how to explain it. You have to read the article, but it's, uh, it's really, really colorful. It's really, really cool. It's multi-purpose. It's the next generation of play parks to keep kids active. Um, and I know in this city, the, the Flames Foundation, uh, Sport Calgary, there's all kinds of conversation. We're, we're in the middle of conversations about facilities, but open spaces and park spaces. I, I don't know if you've had a, a chance to, to check out a pump track. I believe that's what they're called, a pump track. Um, yeah, where you, you get on. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There and the, the bike round and anyway, I would have loved it if I was 45 years younger. But it's amazing. If you go to these pump tracks, they're they're packed during the summertime this to me is the next stage of coolness but getting kids active participating you're going to want it in your community you're going to want it in your city that's today's reading assignment so make sure you check it out uh the flames of the 5-1 win over anaheim last night uh talked a little bit about it with the voice of the calgary flames peter marr good okay yep Uh uh-huh had to sure um but I, I, I refute, I refute to um, say it was a bounce back. Just the, the caliber of the opponent. 
Uh, the LA Kings are a playoff team. Not only are they a playoff team, they're a playoff team that wants to go deep. Not only are they a playoff team that wants to go deep. My thoughts are they were more focused on a team in Alberta, but not the one they played on Monday. Um, <clears throat> they trounced the Flames. Calgary came back, scored early against Anaheim, controlled the game, outshot the Ducks by a two-to-one margin, just stomped on their neck in the third period, 14-2, to two, because they could. Because they could. Um, I am probably saying this for effect more than anything. I'm, I am I believe that the uh, if Wolf brought his A game, that the Wranglers could have won that game last night too. I, I don't, I just don't see a lot with Anaheim at this juncture, nor should you because of what they are and what they're trying to be. Uh, you know, McTavish and Zigris are going to be great players. Fowler has been a great player. John Gibson. I think John Gibson, you know, it's funny. His name popped up around the trade deadline as a goaltender that might move. And I'm like, why would you do this? He can play. Like, give yourself a fighting chance. So I think they talked a little bit out on the broadcast last night that maybe that that has changed in Anaheim's plans that Pat Verbeek would, would hang on to him. I hope so. I know they've got, you know, other picks coming and and I'm not I'm not making fun of the ducks. They're just in that position. And I just didn't think they were very good last night. Uh Tyler Toffoli, three assists. That's a, a big game for him. I believe he's done it once before. Uh Michael Backlund, another couple of helpers. So Toffoli continues to have a season, which, you know, look at him. Um, you know, it's gonna help, but there's the standings again, folks. Just look at the standings. Um, the overtime losses. The Kings are the only no, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Sharks have 15 overtime losses, uh, two. Um, it's just, it's, as we talked with Pete, it's baffling. They, all these seasons have their own ebb and flow, and this one continues to have an ebb and flow. Vegas is in here tomorrow. Um, made a statement against Vegas last week. I suspect that Vegas is going to want a little bit of revenge. Uh, should be a good game, but how many times have we said that? Um, then you've got San Jose on the weekend. Time is Time is not your enemy. Or uh, time, time is your enemy. Time is not your friend is what I meant to say. If you're the Calgary Flames, time is not your friend at this juncture. A um, couple other things. Uh, you know, and I, I feel like I, 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 in a way, I'm letting you guys down. I, I really do. I feel like I've let you guys down. I, I, I love a good sports business story. I love a good product story of, you know, um, being on the cutting edge and, and understand. Now, I knew that uh, Adidas or Adida. Uh, however you want to pronounce it, uh, was going to not come back to the National Hockey League. And I knew they were looking for a new uh, supplier for their on-ice jerseys. And, and well, that'd be the primary driver. And it's Fanatics who have not had that role or responsibility with any pro league of any consequence to this point. They will, in, uh, two years from now, begin supplying the on-ice jerseys uh, for the NHL. Uh, it's not CCM. It's not ProJoy. It's not Under Armour. It's not Nike. It's not any of these companies that we may have heard before, but I don't think anybody should be surprised. Uh, the Fanatics as a brand, Fanatics as a company is exploding. Um, they have been compared to Amazon on the sports side. They're getting into sports gambling. They've gotten into trading cards and NFTs, I believe. Um, they are absolutely the world's largest uh, uh, retailer when it comes to, to sports, but now uh, into hockey. And I, I guess I slept on this one because uh, I had no idea that they were not as popular as, um, well, they're just not popular. 
their their quality, their service, all of those sort of things. This traditionally, when a team announces a new supplier of anything, it's kind of met with a hmm. And some of us equipment nerds um, just, you know, you know, would be interested in it. But that's it. This one had far far-reaching repercussions lots of mainstream media pick up on it it's an interesting story to watch i don't think it's going to change it's a couple of years people will calm down people do get a little excited sometimes with um advertising on jerseys or helmets or stuff like that and that goes away I'm, I'm curious to see if this one goes away did not see it coming uh yet here we are uh we are in the oodle noodle studio this afternoon we're not just crazy about noodles we put the same energy back into the community two locations 1244 17th avenue southwest 105 main street north in airdrie pickup and delivery a couple of weeks ago uh we banged the table really hard and and went right after the minnesota wild uh for their refusal to wear the pride jerseys that they told the public they were going to wear um, put them on up for auction, had to take that down, became the second team in the National Hockey League to spit the bit on wearing a pride jersey just before the game. Really, they followed in the path of the New York Rangers. We had seen in Philadelphia that uh, Ivan Provorov, uh, citing religious beliefs, refused to take warm-up and refused to wear the jersey, and then the Rangers, and then Minnesota, and more recently this, uh, this past weekend, um, the San Jose Sharks just came right out and said, hey, we're wearing them. James Reimer isn't. He'll talk about it. Um, this has created a, a, quite a firestorm. It's created a bit of a controversy. It's an important story, but it also needs some context and some nuance. And really excited that uh, we can bring in this guy because I got to know him when he was with Hockey Canada here in Calgary. Uh, he has since gone on. He's a, an agent with Creative Artist Agency. Uh, but he's also one of the directors, and I believe one of the founders of the Alphabet Sports Collective. Bain Pettinger, kind enough to join us today. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, Rob. How you doing? It's been a while. I know. I'm used to seeing you with goalie gear on at a Flames uh, <laughs> golf tournament or at uh, the bowels of the Saddle Dome there. So it's, uh, it's good to right. see you again. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you know, I'm not on a golf course. I'm not wearing goalie equipment. How did you recognize me? Um, Honestly. It's good to, <laughs> it's good to see you. I, I just said, yeah. like, I remember we, we, we'd meet a lot at, at Hockey Canada meetings, but man, you have gone on, sir, and, and done some pretty incredible things. What is, what is life like these days? Before we get into the topic, what's life like these days for you as a player agent? Yeah, recently happy to get through. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm based in Toronto now. I moved about four years ago from Calgary, uh, working here in, in the hockey hotbed, uh, as <laughs> as all Leafs fans think it is, but also in minor hockey here. It's a bit crazy at sometimes. But yeah. OHL trade deadline got through that, had a couple prospects move from non-contending teams to contending teams to end their junior career, and then um, NHL trade deadline. I was actually in Edmonton when with uh, Tyson Berry when he got traded. I uh, got the call from Ken Holland and the madness that ensues after that. Um, so I was out there just to watch a couple of games. I knew the deadline was coming, but uh, you know the thing that people don't see is the human side behind that, mm -hmm. right? It's they make a lot of money, but you know driving him to the airport five hours after that phone call and you know not knowing when he's going to see his son next and you know, you got to break a lease in Edmonton, you got to find a house in, in Nashville, you got to move your family. And, and, you know, there's a lot of logistics around that. So those are always big ones. Um, now we kind of sit back for the playoffs, watch, you know, hope that your clients go far, 
um, into a long spring slash summer and then uh, free agency. You get to do it all over again and finding guys jobs and then, you know, training camps and hopefully they can stay in the league or, or move up, you know, players graduating from the CHL to hopefully the NHL. But it's always, uh, always interesting in the agency world. So two questions have come out of that, Bain. And I, of all the years that I've ever had the conversations about the trade deadline, you just raised something that I guess I never really considered deeply, which is, you know, trades made. Oh, Tyson Berry's been traded. Then another trades move. So we move on. You don't. You're there. The logistics <coughs> that you just outlined, are you an active participant in that? Or are you just supporting your client? I mean, are you playing a role in getting him housing and transportation and all of that? Yeah, I mean, I wish, you know, we had uh, trade protection sometimes because some players, you know, don't want to move. You know, he definitely was on mm-hmm. a, a good trajectory there with the Oilers, but they felt that they needed to upgrade with Ekholm. And unfortunately, that's, you know, they get paid a lot of money to be able to be traded like that. That's why, you know, when you're when you're doing or structuring a contract, uh, you know, a no trade or a limited list is so important. People kind of, you know, throw that out the window of like, oh, whatever. But when it comes down, you know, you saw with Patrick Kane, he got to yeah. chose, choose where he wanted to go and it was a process and he could prepare for that. You know, whereas I'm sitting with Tyson, it's a phone call. And then two minutes later, the media is calling and five minutes later, Nashville's calling saying, what number do you want to wear? Uh, when are you flying in? So it all happens so quick. Um, with my clients, I try to help obviously as much as possible. Luckily I was there. Um, you know, I, I drove to the arena and got his gear from the Edmonton trainers because he was a little bit upset and, and, uh, you know, and then you're driving him to the airport and you're helping, you know, his wife, Emma, with uh, with finding accommodations in Nashville and mm-hmm. looking at the calendar of when they're going to break the lease in Edmonton and what's that going to cost. And just, yeah, the behind the scenes, like you said, it is it happens so quick on trade deadline day, um, you know, with, oh, move on to the next one. Right. And it's like, OK, that's a good move for both sides. But the human side of it is really where an agent can help to uh, to try and assist that because it does flip your world upside down. Right. And 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 it, uh, you know, sometimes people forget that these players are humans and that they do yeah. get emotional and have families and, you know, are set in the community that they're in. And that can change in a matter of a 30 second phone call. You've referenced minor hockey, you referenced the Ontario Hockey League, you referenced the NHL as someone who becomes a player agent. Are you like a lawyer in, in the sense that when you join the firm, you kind of have to work from the bottom up? Are you? Do you have to develop your relationships? Are you handed relationships? How does it work for someone like yourself who enters the And I've never asked anybody this, but how does it work for somebody starting out? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of both. You know, I, I did okay. 10 years at, at Hockey Canada, right, running national teams. So luckily I had relationships with some players sure. that were already CAA clients, you know, Sidney yep. Crosby, uh, Nathan McKinnon. So I had those working relationships with them when they would come to a world championships or a world cup or a world junior. So, you know, it was a natural fit with those guys. I mean, the hardest part for me was I was always so proud of, of hockey Canada. And then you, you, you know, you have Philip Forsberg on a CAA roster, you have Jack Hughes. And, you know, two years ago it was Canada versus USA at world juniors. And he was the enemy, you know? And, and so you have to kind of let your national guard down a bit. And that was a big thing for me, you know, of, okay. Yeah. David Pasternak is actually a pretty good guy. You know, even though he beat us at world championships, he's, you know, he's a, he's a fee paying client at CAA. And, and that's, 
you know, you get out of the hockey Canada realm and the competitiveness and you realize that, um, you know, that these guys are wherever they're from are just great, great people. But yeah, I definitely, you know, I live in, in minor hockey rinks, whether it's, you know, midget Bantam or U16, U15, U14, even I coach a team out here. Um, and it's extremely competitive. There'll be different agencies at, even at that level out here for, for major Bantam. And, uh, you know, I have to out recruit the, the other big shops that are established agents out here. And, it is a, a bit of a, a an old boys club that way where you have to build your book mm-hmm. up, right? But the good thing about our right. business is that it, it always does replenish itself um, in that there's always going to be another first overall pick, right? It's not like we run out of players. Players graduate out of the league. Players come into the league. You know, you see Connor Bedard coming in. We probably never heard of him a couple of years ago. So the good thing is, is that the market, if you look at it that way, replenishes itself every year. You just have to go out and find the players. How healthy is the game at that level? You're coaching it. You're around it. You're recruiting in it. How healthy is it? In what sense? In the in the skill caliber? Or, or well, okay, fair enough. Um, we just you and I are about to talk about a, a hot topic in hockey, and hockey's had a lot of hot topics, right? Um, you know, there's controversy in the GTHL and those sort of things. So when you're out recruiting is is the sport healthy or the are the players and the families in it for the right reasons is it are we getting the proper results out of sport or is it becoming too focused on pro I mean that's a tough question because I when I recruit I always say that you can't look at you know if I take on to represent a say a 15 year old right I, I always say to the parents you can't look at it as NHL or bust because there's only 700 odd jobs, right? And they're not going anywhere, right? There's, a, you know, I would say 90% of those are on one-way contracts. You know, you know, the Flames training camp, what, there may be two rookies, maybe make the team, maybe. right? That are new to this, maybe, right? So there's a lot of one-way deals. So when I try to recruit, um, I try to say, hey, if hockey gets you a scholarship at Cornell University, if you get to go play and win a Memorial Cup, and be an agent after like myself or a coach or a trainer or an executive hockey's given you something. And, and, and I always try to preach that in my recruiting, because if you're setting yourself up for NHL or bust, it's like a 0.022% chance, um, you know, and, and yeah, there is (laughs) like in Calgary, like in where I'm from Victoria, like in Toronto, there's a lot of, you know, false expectations out there that everyone thinks their kid's going to make the national hockey league. And unfortunately just, that's not how the numbers work out. There's late bloomers that never get drafted that play. There's ones that go in the first round that never play a game in the league. It's, it's, it's about a number of, you know, circumstances, opportunity. Uh, what organization do you go to? Is there an injury that happens to get you a lucky break? There's so many things beyond skill that uh, have a player end up in the national league. So at least I try with my practice to not just preach, NHL game or bust um, and, and, yep. you know, really take from the game, the networks and, and, you know, the education that you can, can, can get from teamwork, from, you know, playing in the CHL or NCAA to, you know, hopefully minor pro to, you know, if you get to the NHL, great, that's a cherry on top, but, you know, try mm-hmm. and use it for what the game can provide other than, uh, you know, just the checkbox of playing in the national league. What surprised you? What has surprised you about being a player agent? For me, I didn't realize how much of a sports psychology role it was. Um, mm. And in that, I mean, mm. you know, you never get a phone call unless the cl- well, the clients are my friends. But, you know, during the season, you don't look down and say, oh, Tyson Berry's calling. 
uh, he's probably just checking in to see how Bain's doing. No, it's <laughs> something happened or there's a rumor yeah. or an injury or, you know, no day is similar. You know, the, I'll tell you what my day's like tomorrow after I watch the games tonight. You know, if some player gets benched or an in, you know, knock on wood, an injury, um, and you're saying, hey, do we need to get a second opinion? Or I wouldn't have told you last week that we were moving Tyson Berry to Nashville, you know, and, and, yeah. and you know, I was just in Buffalo last night. I drove down to see him play for the Nashville Predators, and I, I thought I would be in Phoenix watching the Edmonton Oilers, you know. So it's, yeah. it's, it's the sports psych part of it, and sometimes sure. they just want to have someone to vent to um, and just listen and, and, you know, say, hey, I'm getting a lot of pressure from the coach, from media, from – you know, whether it's at home and they just want someone to be able to tell them that it's going to be okay. You know, they're like, they're like all of us, the NHL players, everyone puts them on this pedestal, but that's the biggest thing I've learned is that they're humans too. And sometimes as an agent, you just need to listen and, um, you know, offer your, your, your candid advice, but really they just need a support network. And that's, that's the part that surprised me the most. I thought it was going to be Jerry Maguire and running around and nice dinners and drafts and suits. And, you know, it's a lot of sitting and, walking around and having your earbuds in and just listening to players vent and, you know, stuff that they don't want to say publicly or stuff that they don't, you know, you know, they want to run ideas by you or future looking or, you know, how's my career? How, what do you see outlook wise and just stuff like that. So, yeah, I'd say that's the most surprising piece. Uh, Well, listen, I appreciate it. I mean, didn't bring you on to talk about being an agent, but I'm glad I asked you because it's, it's really interesting insight that I think a lot of us take for granted that role. And it's, it's, you're part of the ecosystem, an important part of the hockey ecosystem, right? You know, yeah. you have a role to play. For sure. Um, all right. Uh, let's establish this conversation by going back to 2020, I believe. You made some headlines. Uh, you came out, um, announced the hockey world. Why and, and why the timing at that point for you being just to kind of establish this conversation? Yeah, for me, it was, um, you know, it was combining my, my personal life and my professional life. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I was traveling the world with team Canada, you know, multiple Olympics, world juniors, um, you know, hanging with the who's who of hockey. And then I'd get home and, you know, question my personal side and how I felt about life and finding a partner and happiness and all that. And, and yep. really it came to a head when, when COVID happened, um, you know, we're all so busy. We're running around to games. We're running around, you know, there's another free agency or there's another, you know, fire to put out and you don't focus on yourself. So when I went home to Victoria for six months, uh, once COVID hit, uh, Toronto was in full lockdown. I had just moved here. I said, you know what, I'm going to head to Victoria where the weather's a little better and I can, uh, mm-hmm. you know, be around my, my brothers and my parents and, Really, once the phone stopped ringing and the emails, you know, the, when the world kind of, you know, those nights where you, you tune in yeah. and you, you're not really sure what's going on and you're watching the national and seeing numbers. And that's when real conversations started to happen with my family and my friends, um, you know, and, and really started floating ideas around about me coming out. You know, my family knew for a while, uh, a couple of years, but really it was it was when the COVID shutdown happened that I got to kind of assess internally where I was at in life and kind of Mm -hmm. reset and decided that uh, I was going to, you know, combine my personal and professional worlds and, and reveal that I was, I was gay. And um, you know, it's been the best day of my life ever since then to just be open and honest and who really cares. And, and, you know, and I think that's important that, you know, I'm not 
preaching. I'm not like, Hey, you know, this makes me different. But if, if, you know, hockey, I feel is a bit behind in that. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing examples of that with the pride games and with, yep. you know, the hot button issues. Um, but yeah, for me, it was just a decision to say life's too short. I want to be happy. I don't want to, you know, go down this road of telling lies anymore. And, and frankly, let's just get it out there. And I, you know, it was, extremely nerve wracking, but, uh, it was the best thing I ever did. And I've kind of gone down this route now of being a vocal advocate and, you know, we'll get into it later with alphabet sports collective, but yeah. you know, a few things that have come from it. Um, but yeah, I, it just kind of happened. Timing was right. And the stars aligned. And I just said, Hey, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to rip the bandaid off here and let the world know. And I didn't expect it to take off like this, but I'm happy to use my platform, um, you know, and my status in the game to, to help educate and humanize and, sure. you know, hope, hope, help people understand, you know, where a man, a gay man in the hockey world's coming from with all, all the stuff that's going on here. Prior to, to making it public, were you ex- accepted by family and friends? Was there, was there any issue? Was there any trepidation, you know, kind of in your personal life? No, not for me. It was all, it was all internal by myself. You know, okay. I thought that the likes of, you know, Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby and these guys that I get to work with, you know, somehow those relationships would change. And, you know, you, I think before any major decision, I think it's human nature that you think the worst is going to happen. Um, and, you know, you have these nightmares of, Oh, I'm never going to be able to work in hockey and I'm never, you know, I, uh, people will exile me and blah, blah, blah. You, you run through these scenarios in your head that looking back are just, you know, insane, but yeah, I think it's human nature to just, sometimes focus on the negative there and and really for me it was internal uh what ifs right and and so in my process I started floating that out uh I remember sitting with Connor uh, you know over the summertime and at his place in Muskoka and said hey you know it's not easy but got something to tell you and you know you're sitting on the dock having a beer and all of a sudden he's like hey I think that's great and you know you could really do something with this and then you know, you text Sid and he's like, yeah, if you need me, let me know. I'm happy, you know, to do something. And then Pierre Lebrun is like, hey, let's do an article in The Athletic and mention those guys. And I'm like, OK, you know, like it kind of it kind of snowballed and, and yeah. you know, was it was received and, and accepted way more than I ever thought. And that's kind of my message to people that are, are on the other side, considering coming out and living their life, uh, li- living their truth is the big bad hockey world isn't that big and bad. And, and, you know, there is a lot of support, even though it's not public, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the, the rainbows aren't flown every, every day, but people really just want people to be happy. And I think that's in life, that's in professional life, that's in everything. And I think that's the biggest thing that I learned is that don't make assumptions because, you know, people are, are, are more than accepting and, and really just want your happiness if they really care about you. You mentioned the word advocacy was advocacy part of this or did it come afterwards you know what i mean where because you you did ctv yesterday you you have been you know at the forefront of a lot of this was that the plan or did that happen not the plan at all i was gonna post a a rainbow flag instagram and uh and the article came out with pierre lebrun there in the athletic and then through conversations and getting more comfortable speaking on it, um, you know, and seeing, having my eyes open to the gaps in the game and the, you know, the, the misunderstanding I believe that's out there um, and the humanization that needs to be done and no one really speaking up for that. Um, And again, I'm not trying to preach. We're not going to change everyone's mind. I'm just saying that 
I'm trying to prove to people that you can be a successful agent and be gay. You can be a player yeah. like Luke Prokop and be gay. And like, yeah. you know, my biggest fear was that you're not going to be accepted when in fact it's the exact opposite. And you know what, we're going to have people out there and everything that are hateful and, and, you know, mm-hmm. and think, why do we need to talk about this? Well, because, you know, we can get into it later, but because there's fans in San Jose now that don't think they're welcome at a San Jose Sharks game because of yep. one player's actions. And, and, you know, yep. we'll get into that in a bit, but that's why I do it is to just humanize and say, Hey, you know what, this guy's got a pretty good resume and you know what, he's been successful in the game. And you know what, hopefully that, you know, gains the respect of people that uh, in the community, but also external that think that this isn't an issue and, you know, think that it doesn't affect them. So let's have that humanization talk um, to, to really drive that change. I was fooled. Um, I thought that the likes of yourself, the likes of Brian Burke, the, the you can play campaigns. I thought we had moved. I thought we were down the path. I thought I was with the hitman when Luke Prokop came out and I know the impact that that had. Um, I, I, I was caught flat footed this year by what's happened in the NHL. Are you surprised by what took place in, in with the Rangers and with Minnesota? Uh, I wouldn't say surprised. I would say disappointed, right? Sure. I, I think sure. it's a simple, it's a simple gesture. You know, I think Berkey had a great comment yesterday or two days ago with yep. that by no means are by you wearing by a player wearing a jersey for 15 minutes. It's really not about them. It's it's no. about showing the community, the LGBTQ plus community in a in a league that is revenue hungry after after a COVID lockdown that yes, you are welcome here. And and it's not really about Provorov and Reimer for that matter. It's about them saying that, you know, that a fan that could be out there, that's a big fan of the Calgary Flames or the San Jose Sharks or the Philadelphia Flyers, that you're not welcome here. And that's that's what the whole night is about. It's not about, you know, the players themselves. And if they have political or religious reasons, hey, again, we're not going to change everyone, but 95% of the players both on Philadelphia and on San Jose, wore it and yep. raised a lot of money after for charity in the in the, you know local LGBTQ plus charities. And, you know, I'm sure there are some queer fans that went to the game and thought, you know what, this is something I can get behind. I, I relate mm-hmm. to that rainbow and, and now I feel welcome in the rink. And I think that's good for the game of hockey. I think that's good for just in general to have, there's so much stuff going on in the world right now. Like, the rink should be a safe space for whoever, whatever color skin you are, whatever sexual orientation. And we're not going to change the minds, but I think, I think we've kind of gotten off path that, you know, that Scott Lawton and James Van Riemsdyk hosted a great night there with queer youth. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think in our society, we go to the negative squeaky wheel and it's like, well, one person didn't. And it's like, okay, that was his choice. Like, you know yeah. what? At least we're in the majority now that are on board with it and we're having conversations about it because I don't think that would have happened 10 years ago, right? You never saw pride jerseys 10 years ago. And yeah. and so we're moving the needle, right? Is everyone going to be on board? No. Is everyone on board with everything that happens in the world? No, right? So we have to kind of focus on, I'm a glass half full type guy. We have to focus okay. on that, you know, yeah. uh, the Eric Carlson's and the Logan Couture's and the Sharks said, hey, we still stand for this. And this is what the San Jose Sharks stand for in the, in the San Francisco Bay area, which is one of the largest gay communities in the world. Um, And you know what, let, let Reimer be an outsider because I think that's important too, that they don't, they don't, you know, protect players because of their individual beliefs. Um, You know, and I think, 
you know, that's where we're at with, uh, with those jerseys. And believe me, I'm not a big fan of pride nights to begin with, just because I think they are pretty, you know, um, showy, like they don't do a lot, you know, they don't Mm, like, we'll get into it with alphabet sports collective, but it doesn't, it's like a pride month, right? You can, you can march in a parade and wave a flag, but that doesn't, that doesn't change people feeling good about themselves. And, and, you know, and, and really getting to the root of the problem. It's, it's a bit of a bandaid in my, in my eyes, pride nights in general, and it's been exposed here, but that's just, again, that's just my personal view. Yeah. Listen, we were texting back and forth last night and I said, this is going to be a different interview and far be it for me to lecture you about the pride nights, but I, I just, and what really bothered me about Minnesota, what really bothered me about the Rangers is because I've seen it in the community. I've seen it around people that I've worked with. Representation matters. And when you say you're welcome and you're here and the team does it, um, it, I think it, we're going through a mental health crisis. And again, I'm not, not my intention to, to lecture you, not at all, but I think we would both agree that, you know, there's some teenagers that are, they're gra- grappling with their true, you know, their true reality, right. And who they are. And it's really easy to push them over the edge. And like you say, when it gets to the negative, boy, the, the sharks or the Rangers won't do this. I just think there's an actual real life consequence to, you know, not doing it and, and, and it becoming a story that I think it can, it can impact kids and youth that need that representation that need that leadership. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I'm not trying to discredit pride nights. I'm just saying no, no, that, no, no. Yeah. you know, I think that, you know, it's such a simple thing to do um, to show people that they're welcome. You know, one of my good friends and, and one of my top clients, Jamie Ben, for example, last mm-hmm. night in, I don't know if you saw the clip, they had their pride night. And, uh, you know, I, I, Jamie's obviously a good friend of mine. I was just down yeah. there for his thousandth game ceremony and they wore their pride night and he got interviewed during warmup. And he said, it's a simple thing to do to show everyone that they belong. And they're in the state of Texas where there's, you know, a lot <laughs> yes. of things that are going on in the state of Texas. And they could have yeah. said, Oh, well, you know, then I know that they have some people on their team, whether it's Russians or of a religion, but I'm sure Jamie just said, Hey guys, this is one night for 15 minutes that we're just going to show everyone that they're welcome here. And it's not a sweat off our back. We get paid lots of money. And you know what, if this Jersey raises 10 grand for a charity, then I'll be it, you know, and I, I really want to amplify good things like that, that don't get news, gotcha. you know, and Jamie yeah. was interviewed and said, it just shows that the Dallas stars are welcoming. And we, you know, we already talked about it, but I think the, the negative gets amplified. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, we can, you know, the Edmonton Oilers are about to have their pride night, you know, and Connor was asking me about it and, and Leon and those guys where like there's guys that, that want to make a difference and, yep. and, and show that they support the community. And I think, you know, we need to amplify those because we're, frankly, we're not going to change everyone's mind or outlook or views or religion or whatever you want to call it, why they don't support it. Um, then, Hey, that's the way it is. We're not going to change everyone's mind. We're not looking to change minds. Yeah. We're, we're trying to say, Hey, you as a fan in the LGBT community want to come to a Calgary flames game. Yes. We will celebrate you for one night and we will, you will feel welcome and endorsed and see your favorite player wearing something that you, you tie to. And that's as simple as that. Yep. I thought you mentioned the Brian Burke quote and I just, I'm cherry picking a line out of it, but this is the one that, uh, you know, 
players would uh, I wish players would understand that the pride sweaters are about inclusion and welcoming everybody a player wearing pride colors or tape isn't endorsing a set of values or enlisting in a cause and again credit to Berkey <laughs> you know it's credit to you in that way too so let's instead let's take a lead from you and let's talk about something positive tell me about the alphabet sports collect yeah, so Alphabet came about, um, obviously, after I came out. Um, really, I was sitting there, and in my fears, I said, well, I, I don't know anyone in hockey that's gay. So I Googled gay hockey player, and Brock McGillis came up. And mm-hmm. he's with a co-founder with Alphabet Sports Collective. I phoned him, or I DM'd him, and he said, hey, yeah, you know what? It's been great, but there is some challenges, and you know what? It'll be okay, and I, you know, I did this four years ago, and you know what? And Brock and I have become really good friends since. I don't think it's coincidence that, you know, three months after my coming out story came out, I got a message from Luke Prokop in my, in my Twitter mentions saying, Hey, can we have a chat? I saw your story, you know, and now with you and Brock out in the game, I want to be the first player. So Luke and I have formed a friendship through that. So the real reason behind alphabet sports collective is there was no, you know, the community often operates in silos because it is this disguise that it's not a visible you know, oh, you know, presenting as gay, you know, people don't know in people's shoes. I waited till I was 32 to come out of the closet. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yep. you know, I'm sure I've heard some language and used some language that probably kept me in the closet, you know, traveling the world with team Canada, you know, the old, that's so gay or, you know, sure. the F bomb or whichever. Yep. And, and so by operating in silos, everyone thinks they're alone. So with alphabet, what we want to do is really focus internally and create a hub and a community for those that are a member of the queer community that want to be involved in the game, whether it's as an agent, a broadcaster like yourself, a coach, a player, to show and educate and get people feeling good about themselves. Because when you see nights that happen, you, mm-hmm. you know, you sink back down in your chair a bit. And if you think you're about to come out, you know, oh, well, maybe I'm not welcome. And, you know, I don't want to be that, you know, that outlier that's going to face hate. No one, no one says I want to, you know, announce something and then hear a bunch of hate about it and get, DMs and, you know, stuff like that, because in social media now everyone can come at you pretty quick. And, yeah. and you know, and, and so Alphabet's all about empowering the, the queer community that want to be involved in the game. And through our ambassador program, um, you know, getting people feeling good about themselves and then mobilizing them to be a broadcaster, to be an agent, to be a coach, a trainer, whatever. Those that don't mm-hmm. think that they have a place in the great game of hockey like I didn't you know, to show them that there is a community that can help you, you know, empower and and feel good about yourself and then mobilize to be out there. And I think the more minds we have around hockey, queer or straight or of color or whatever descent or Cree you are, that's only going to make hockey better. And, and, and instead of, you know, people being pushed away from the game, like we've seen lately, I think Alphabet Sports Collective is all about bringing people in, and showing, you know, uh, that, that they do belong and that, you know, they can thrive in the hockey world. And, and I think that's, that's our kind of mission here. Tell me about the importance of the, your board of directors. I, I, I recognized a few names on there, but I believe Marco de Bueno is on there from, uh, from Jumpstart. Um, there's some pretty significant players involved in this. Yeah, we have, we have people from all backgrounds, you know, uh, you know, people of color, people of, you know, various policy writing to speakers, to ex players and Curtis Gabriel, who's a big ally Mm -hmm. in the community to the charitable nonprofit side with Marco there with, with Canadian jumpstart, 
um, you know, because I think that's what makes a good board is all the different, you know, perspectives. Hey, have we thought about this? Have we thought, you know, so this last year getting this off the ground, you know, it's been very interesting and, and I'm still learning every day. I'm, I'm not a, you know, there's still a lot for me to learn by no means am I an expert, but I'm open and willing to hear from other people that have been in the community and have, you know, lived a, a life in this or had, you know, a trans, a trans folk or whichever, mm-hmm. because there's so many different branches that I'm no expert, but I'm willing to learn and listen and educate and put myself in someone else's shoes. And I think with our board, that's what, that's what we strive to do is bring different perspectives and, and really try and drive the change in the right direction. One thing I'm really proud of is, I know you're going to chirp me on it, is the ambassador program for not having enough Western people. We need some more Western Canadians on this, don't we? We will. We started, we started right. locally here. But the Go goal ahead. of our ambassador program is really, you know, using those that are influential yeah. in the game. You know, the Pierre Lebruns, the, you know, the, the Morgan Rileys, the Tyson Berries. Uh, Scott Lawton, you know, um, to to really, you know, Megan Hunter, who's the assistant general manager there in, in Chicago, who's my ex co-worker at Hockey Canada. You know, she's climbing the ranks with the Blackhawks um, to really use them to to educate them, first of all, like we're having an honest conversation here. You know, yeah. we're not just using them for clickbait. We're going to we're going to use them to to educate them so that they're comfortable speaking on the issues, but also to get to a different you know, audience, you know, Pierre mm-hmm. LeBron has almost 900,000 Twitter followers, you know, that are strictly hockey folk. Yeah. Right. I, you know, when, when I retweet something, it can go down a bit of an echo chamber. I'm kind of preaching to the converted, you know, whereas yeah. If, yeah, if, yeah. if, if Elliot or, 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 you know, LeBron or yourself or Morgan Riley or one of those guys tweets something um, and, and with some substance behind it and, and facts and education, you know, or even shows up to an event that we have um, as straight allies I think that just helps people be more comfortable and feeling good about themselves that, Oh, Pierre Lebrun's cool with this. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, Rob Kerr's okay with this. And, yep. you know, and I think that that's the goal of the ambassador program is to really reach a new audience um, that we wouldn't normally have. Not everyone just Googles not-for-profit, you know, you know, queer hockey companies, you know, and, and I think getting the word out there is really important. No, I, and, and I appreciate that. And, and, you're right. I mean, I, I, I just looked at it and I go, man, there's so many people that we need to get. And, you know, here I am using we already, but, but I, I believe in, and I, I believe in the ambassadors and I believe in that idea of education and educating and having people speak on it. You're right. I mean, there, there's certain people that don't want to hear this and they've already made their mind up, but I think there's a lot of people, you know, who are going to hear you today and, and hear you speak about, okay, that was interesting about pride night is, is let me ask you about allyship. Really? Because that's what an ambassador promotion would be, right? Is creating allies. What, what, as you see it, Bain, what's allyship? What kind of allies do you need or what can people do to be allies? I think allies is, is, you know, not, you know, having, having to have a queer person around and not use proper language, you know, and calling out, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we all have that, that uncle or the cousin that has a few too many and drops, you know, some, some homophobic language and, I think it's, it's, it's calling that out. Um, you know, it's, it's really just saying, Hey, put yourself in someone else's shoes, you know, that, that, you know, believe me, I was in my twenties and I was in the closet and I heard stuff where you're like, Hmm, you know, whether you're in the locker room or you're at a flames game or whatever it is that just, you know, it doesn't have to be someone that's part of the community around to call out that behavior. Right. And I think we've, we've made progress as a society, but I think, 
allyship is just doing what's right. <laughs> like as crazy as that sounds, yeah. you hear you hear an f bomb, you hear something like that, you're just like, hey, like we don't say that. You know, we all some of us have kids. Some you know, like the biggest thing for me when I came out was you know I coach a U14 team here, so they would have all been 12. They thought that I was like terminally ill when I said I was I was had to tell them something. They were like, oh, that's that's fine. It was it was the parents that yes. were like you know shocked. And, yes. and, and I love my parents dearly, but they're in their seventies and they were even like, Oh, okay. Well, we didn't have any gay friends. And I'm like, no, you did. You just, no one ever spoke their truth. You know, <laughs> like the world, the world just didn't get more yeah. gay. And, and, yeah. and I think that's an important thing too. We're just having these intellectual conversations to say, Hey, this is who I am. And you know, it shouldn't be a big deal. And, and I hope that it's not, but, until we, you know, until we write that and we stop seeing the stuff that's going on, I think it we need to, um, you know, educate and humanize, and 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 I think that's very important. Yeah, there on the screen right now is is the tweet, so make sure you're following them. But it it you, you it really resonates with me when you talk about the youth. The kids are so much better than we were. I think, like my kids, you know, they are so much more accepting than than my age group was coming up. That's what you imagine. Can you imagine what it's like to go to high school these days? Yeah. With just the different, the cell phones and the instant feedback and you do something wrong and it's on TikTok or Instagram or, you know, the who's dating who and you've got different identities and different, like it would be, you know, it's such a diverse community, you know, that it's inspiring, but yeah, I, I think, you know, the old, oh, we, 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 you know, we think, oh, the youth, they don't know anything that's going on and they're so naive and blah, blah, blah. But they're way more in tune with society and acceptance and inclusion. Mm-hmm. than I think we are as, you know, uh, I'm not quite as old as you, Rob, but yeah, close. No, very few are. Um, it's Alphabet Sports Collective. Does that mean you're going to have a, a larger reach? Yes. And just on the on the alphabet, on the naming of it, because I get asked every once in a while is because you know, those that are kind of against the community kind of say, oh, it's the alphabet mafia. You know, what letter are they adding today? L, B, G, T, you know, <laughs> two plus, you know, so we've, really? we've, rec- we've reclaimed that and just said, you know what, we're proud to be the alphabet because we're going to keep evolving with as the world grows. And um, so that's with Alphabet Sports Collective. And, and yes, it is sports, not hockey directly, because we want to, you know, drive this yep. change, whether it's softball to basketball to field sure. lacrosse, you name it, uh, golf, you know, we're not the only sport that, that deals with this, that is behind, I think, you know, in society mm-hmm. on, on inclusion and diversity. So yeah, that was a strategic name of, of sports collective and not just hockey, but uh, I thought I'd throw in that why we call it alphabet because some people wonder that. Well, I, to be perfectly honest, I love it because it's, you know, it's pushing back, right? Like it's, you know, I, we had this, you know, conversation a couple of weeks ago about Minnesota. Well, you know what social media did right away. And so immediately you get labeled woke or lib or we got to own the lib or what. And I'm like, I don't, I've never, I've always voted as a conservative. I don't vote right now because there's nobody represents me, but all of these terms and these derogatory things to, to, to shout you down. So I love the fact that, yeah, okay. We're going to be the alphabet. I, I, yeah. I like it. It's a kind of a middle finger back to everybody. Right. In a way. Yeah, like hey, everybody. Again, like, you know what I mean? You got to have fun with it too, right? Yeah. Like if they're going to yeah, use that as as weaponizing, then hey, 
sure, we'll call ourselves the Alphabet Sports Collective. And, you know, I, I, I get that all the time too, Rob, about being woke and, you know, this and, no, oh, why, why do we need to have these conversations? And it's, it's as simple as letting people feel good and comfortable and not feeling hate if they go to the rink. And that's – you fill in A or B on the end of that of reasons why, but that's really what it comes down to is people feeling sure. safe and welcome as you would want to. You're looking for ambassadors. What else do you need? What else can you use? What else would help move the Al- Alphabet Sports Collective ahead? Yeah, we're looking for volunteers. You know, our, our handles are at ABCS Collective. Um, you know, for both Twitter, Instagram, and social, we're looking for volunteers at events. We're also looking for members of the community that that need help and don't have somewhere mm-hmm. to turn. You know, and and come and and shoot us a, shoot us a message, and we can help out. We can. That's why we did this to focus internally on the community. Yes, we will have some external, you know, events and, and fundraising and all that, but donations yep. and, and all of that. But we are, you know, alphabetsportscollective.com and you can see what we have going on there. And I just think, you know, whether you are an ally, whether you need help, whether you are questioning things, there is, you know, hockey is a great game and it's a great place for, for everyone. And I, I hope that I can be living proof of that, that you can be, you know, your true self and and you know thrive in the hockey world and i think that's the biggest thing is we just want to get people feeling good and and motivated and get out there because you never know who the next leading scorer of the national hockey league or the next great broadcaster is and their their sexual orientation shouldn't have anything to do with that and and right now we're turning people away from the game and i think we need to be more welcoming for people to join the game and and happy to champion that with alphabet this was awesome Bain, I appreciate this. Thank you for, for giving us your time today. I know I went a little f- longer than I thought I would, but um, it's such an important cause, such an important conversation. What I appreciate is that, too, is that the, the nice pushback and, and you know, kind of the reality that you brought to it, too, which helps. Because I think sometimes, you know, again, it's so easy to, for a guy, you know, get on his high horse and thou shalt and you should and all of this. But, you know, it was a healthy dose of reality you brought here today. So I really appreciate it, my friend. Yeah, well, I appreciate you for for amplifying that and happy to hop on any time. And let's see if the old Flames can sneak into the playoffs here. Well, we talk about it every once in a while, so you never know. <clears throat> you yeah, never know. <laughs> I know. I was tuning in before with uh, with yourself there, and uh, it's, it's the common yeah. yeah, it's the common theme there. But we'll see. I'm pushing for Nashville now, though, so we may have some conflicting. <laughs> yes. No, I and I don't blame you at all. Uh, Bane, yeah. thanks for doing this, man. Hey, thanks, Rob. There you go. Bane Pettinger, kind enough to join us today. Uh, he is a player agent, and I, I really enjoyed that part of the conversation as well. Uh, you know, it's a little behind the scenes there with Tyson Berry and what he goes through uh, with creative artist agency CAA and also a director with the Alphabet Sports Collective. Um, what else do I need to tell you? Um, oh, Afterburner. Tomorrow night, following the Vegas game. Uh, Boomer and I will be on as soon as that one ends and uh, jump on and we'll uh, talk about it. You know, needs to be therapy. It'll be therapy. If it doesn't need to be therapy, it won't be therapy. Coming up this week, uh, Friday, uh, Eric Dehatchek from The Athletic in studio, brand new minted, just found out going into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, friend of the program, Vicki Hall. Monday, because you should always pay attention to who's ahead of you at in the line at Starbucks. 
You should always be paying attention. I ran into Andrew McBride today. That Andrew McBride, former Calgary Roughneck, great now coach with the defending NLL champions, uh, the Colorado Mammoth. He's done a lot in this community for uh, growing the game of lacrosse. He's uh, very passionate about the sport, but he's also hilarious and fun. He's got some great stories, and we're going to bring him in. Uh, Next week, uh, speaking of passionate, fun, and full of stories, Marco Carducci from the Cavalry. Cami Kepke will be with us. Uh, And if you didn't catch it, uh, I'd encourage you to please go back and uh, listen to Kelsey Snow from Monday. That was... uh, uh, yeah, it was an interview that it can be a little hard at times. Trust me, it was hard doing it at times, uh, but it was so important. And I really appreciate the feedback we've gotten. And I know that a lot of people in, um, appreciated it. So uh, if you didn't, you can go back and check it out. All right, final mile. <sighs> Let's wrap her up, shall we? Uh, one of the good guys in the game, a uh, friend of the program, uh, just Mr. Calgary Flame, Craig Conroy, uh, will be joining Team USA's uh, management team for the world champions uh, chips. Uh, interesting. His general manager, Chris Clark. Yes. That Chris Clark, former flame, Chris Clark. Uh, we were talking about 84 Clark was a big part of that team. So uh, Craig Conroy rejoining his uh, former flames teammate, Chris Clark, and they will be uh, leading team USA at the world hockey championships. I wonder if Johnny Goudreau is going to play on that team. Uh, he will be available. Um, and there'll probably be uh, Blake Coleman. Well, maybe not if he makes the playoffs. Um, yeah, there's probably some good players. It's about this time that we begin to think about that. If you're not making, if your team's not making the playoffs, right? Are they going to go? Um, we didn't get to see it yet. Uh, we didn't get to see it yet. I'm hoping that changes. But last night on uh, HBO's Real Sports, I believe with Brian Gumble, um, which was broadcast in the U- United States of America, uh, two Calgary stories. Uh, Harner Ryan Singh profiled uh, for the work that he's done. Um, the first with uh, uh, Pun- uh, bringing Hockey Night in Canada in Punjabi, and then to his transition to Hockey Night in Canada um, on the main network. Uh, he was profiled. And then another story on Chris Snow and his work. And uh, he continues to, as we know, continues to battle with ALS, continues to work, continues to raise his kids and his family and his, uh, his lovely wife, because he was our guest. But, um, it there's a you know i don't i really don't I'm not happy that they have to do a story on chris i wish chris didn't have to go through any of this if you know what i mean it's a, nobody should go through this i hope that this terrible disease and i believe he is actually uh, he and kelsey are uh zooming in to um congressional hearings or fda hearings today on the on the drug that uh, helped chris so th- they're actively being advocates. I wish they didn't have to go through it, but um, it does say something about our tiny little town uh, that uh, U.S. sports program that profiles important stories in sports has picked two citizens from here, two people who are making a difference in the game. Um, And then one last one, and I I don't know if we're going to get, we'll probably get a chance to talk about this at some point, Um, but uh, the Quebec Junior Hockey League is formally banning fighting in junior hockey starting this fall. This is not new. It's somewhat presented as breaking news. It's not. Um, during COVID, uh, junior hockey teams uh, across the country received uh, some forms of aid and funding to, to keep the doors open. And at the time, Quebec was tying their um, bailout money or, or 
know, uh, COVID money, whatever you want to call it, um, to some changes. And um, that was one of them. And we will see junior hockey played in this country uh, without fighting. What does that mean in the Memorial Cup? Smarter people than me. Uh, I believe if you watch Hockey Night in Canada this past Saturday, uh, uh, Jeff Merrick had a, a quote from Ron Robinson that they have no plans to change. Um, at some point, I want to have a, a conversation about this. I just haven't made up my mind on it um, because there is a history of me being rabid and over the top and big into fighting. And it always has to be part of the game. And, you know, I, I think of um, guys like uh, Bruce Dobing and, um, you know, and others that have asked why, and, and it was so easy to shout them down and so easy to say that they were, you know, call them names, not, not, not even really have a, a, a substantive argument, just call them names. Um, I'm not sure where I feel on this. I don't know if it belongs anymore. I, uh, what I do think is that I was wrong. I thought fighting was going to be not mandated out of the game, but insured out of the game. I thought that we'd get to a point where insurance would have uh, just precluded, you know, the tepid or test tepid approval of fighting with the kind of the minimal rules we have. I thought the insurance world was going to take care of that, but that, that hasn't happened at this point. It's now, you know, in, in a sense, the Quebec government is doing it there. Will it be something that, I mean, the, the numbers are just not where they used to be. It's not part of the game. We we are now into the minutia of debating whether or not, you know, there should be an instigator for, you know, a fight after a hard hit and, and that kind of retaliation. Um, you know, we were talking to Peter Marr earlier in the program about Wayne Gretzky and, and, what he was able to achieve in the eighties. Well, it was, it was a completely different game. There was four or five times a year, Wayne Gretzky and some other small guy from the other team just sat there together watching the other, the rest of their teammates in a line brawl. It took 25 minutes to 45 minutes to, to clear up on the ice. You know, we talk about the speed of play and, and, uh, and, you know, the length of games and things like that. It was not out of the realm of possibility that a game would be halted for a better part of a half hour while you were, you know, cleaning up a Donnybrook. That's, that's not the game anymore. Having said that, I understand that the, the traditional part of it, I understand in a way where I think it came from. So we have to have that conversation too, because that's another change coming to the sport. Listen, I really appreciate the work of Mark Prince today. Uh, Gav, our outstanding producer, um, little technical hitch on our end at the beginning, but we got on and we didn't, we certainly got Pete on back where he needs to be uh, excited to have Peter Marr joining us uh, every other week. And, and he'll be back in a couple of weeks. It was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, again, if you like the program, tell a friend, if, if you're so moved by the program, go and rate us, give us five stars, all that sort of thing, whatever, uh, you know, we, whatever you like to do, we'll, we would appreciate and tip our hat to you for doing that. Um, we're back on Friday. Looking forward to the guests. Have a great couple of days. Flames back in action tomorrow night. I'll see you on Afterburner. See ya, everybody. When there's two sides to every coin. Then there's a conversation you can join But I'm an old dog and there's new tricks And some of my opinions you just can't fix
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.